When God makes a promise to you but doesn't come through, how do you respond? As we re-enter Dr. Luke's history of the first century church with our study leader Dave Wurtzen, it would seem the Apostle Paul had every reason to be disappointed with God. We find him in front of a Roman judge facing attack and persecution again. Anybody ever have God make a promise to them and it looked like God didn't come through? Think back over your life. Have you ever thought for sure that the Lord had answered your prayer? He maybe even gave you a powerful confirmation, but you were disappointed because it looked like the Lord made you a promise and the Lord didn't come through. In fact, Philip Yanti wrote a book. It's a great book if you're struggling with anger against God. Disappointment with God is the name of the book. Philip talks about many situations where you're disappointed, you're upset with God. What do you do when God makes a promise? We, if you turn to Acts chapter 18, when we finished last week in Acts chapter 18, God made an incredible promise to the Apostle Paul, and I pray that you've been feeding on it all this week. I pray with all my heart that you've been listening because this is in God's inspired word. So when the Lord Jesus said, Paul, as you settled down in Corinth, I know you've been beat up in Lystra. I know that they didn't listen to you in Antioch. I know that you're, you're facing rejection. The, those big intellectuals in Athens didn't really pay much attention to you. But in Corinth, man, you're not going to be beat up. You're going to be settled. You're going to be able to have a big ministry in Corinth that changes a lot of lives. And you have that in Acts chapter 18, verse 9. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Don't be afraid. I hope you've heard this week. Remember we talked about that? Don't be afraid. Let the Lord speak to you. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid about what you're facing. Keep on speaking. Don't be silent. How many of you have kept on sharing Jesus this week? With the Chick-fil-A thing, a lot of you got great opportunities. Be careful. Don't yell just against homosexuality. Proclaim Jesus. There's homosexuals that used to be homosexuals. Now they follow Jesus. Amen? You believe that? You should believe that. I have friends. That's true. Anybody been a fornicator in this audience? Has the Lord changed you to a committed married person? There's victory in Jesus. So don't be afraid. But one of the things we're going to emphasize in the message today, we want to be really careful. Don't just yell morality without Jesus. Don't yell against sin without bringing about the cross. You've got to bring about the power of the cross. Because otherwise, you're going to get really mad. If, if you just yell against sin, that's not speaking, continually speaking. We're going to talk a lot about that. That's what we've been learning in the book of Acts. The Apostle Paul spends all of his life continually proclaiming Jesus Yes, he speaks against sin, but he speaks against all sin. He's the guy that said, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Not just homosexuals. All of us have sinned. But being justified freely by his grace, we have peace with God. That's the message we need to be proclaiming every opportunity we get. And hopefully we'll learn some ways to be able to do that even more. So don't be silent. Keep on speaking. And speak about a lot of things in a lot of different situations. No one's going to attack you or harm you. So relax. You're going to be okay. You're in the Lord's hands. And because I have many people in this city, the Lord is going to bless. One of the things I want you to know, whether it's Awana, whether it's our youth ministry, whether it's our adult ministry, whether it's our whole NBC ministry, the Lord promises here that I have many people in this city. And I want you to realize this morning, for example, as we gather together here, Dave Lowry was my associate for years and years and years. Dave is with his son this morning. And his son is revitalizing another church in the southern part of Cedar Hill. That's good news. 
You're part of that. Don't be discouraged about that. You need to bless it. Until we go home, we want to pray that the Holy Spirit keeps fanning out the embers. When you kick embers and they go all over the place, they light fires everywhere. That's what the Lord Jesus does. So we want to make sure that we keep blessing that. Jimmy Petty right now is down in Teague, Texas. And you gave birth to that church down there. And I could go on and on and on about the influence that you as a follower of Jesus has. The Lord has fulfilled right in our midst that there are many people, not just in Midlothian, but in this whole surrounding area. If you're brand new to us in the church, I want you to realize that the one that helped us start the small Bible study, we combined two Bible studies in the early 70s, the one that helped us start that has ministered behind the Iron Curtain for years, and now the Iron Curtain is gone, but we're still fueling Ed and Coralie's ministry, and they're in Moldova, a country that was totally closed, teaching the book of Acts right now. If you're afraid today, if you're discouraged, man, drink deeply from that. No one would have ever guessed 30 years ago that I'd ever be given that request. Amen? You didn't even know what Moldova was. There's a transnistria, which is across the river. It's this little part that thinks they're their own little country. They're still burdened down with a lot of government regulations. But I've taught in Moldova myself with excited Eastern Europeans and Russians and Romanians and Moldovans all mixed in together, and they love Jesus like you. So the Lord fulfilled what the book says in the book of, of Acts. He strengthened the disciples. Do you believe that this morning? But then we read the next verse, and here's where we get into a lot of trouble. Here's where the disappointment comes. Because it says, while Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul. They brought him into court, and they said, this man, they charged. He's persuading the people to worship God in ways that are contrary to the law. And I'd say, hey, God, Jesus, you gave me a vision. You promised me that I would not be harmed in this city. And now the Jews, just like they did in all the other cities, and this isn't anti-Semitic. I want you to really understand that. I have to really stress that. We have a bad history, and we're never going to reach our Jewish friends unless we understand this. So this isn't anti-Semitic. But it's a historical fact that in the first century, the Jewish leaders in the synagogues and towns across the Roman Greek world, they were the ones that attacked the Apostle Paul and tried to keep him from sharing the truth that Jesus was the Messiah. That's the way history goes. In 70 AD, the Jews are destroyed by the Romans. Their temple is destroyed, and then it switches. The Jews become the religion that's out. And the Romans start persecuting Jews. And that culminates with Christianity culturally becoming the dominant religion, which isn't a kind of a bad thing. In fact, one of the reasons that we have a hard time reaching Jews today is because we united our biblical faith with governmental power. And that's what produced the Middle Ages. And that. So you need to think through that when you unite your spiritual beliefs with your political viewpoint, either on the left or the right. You understand what I'm saying? In order to understand this text, you need to understand the Jewish leaders, they have, they're in, in 51 AD, which is when Galileo, not Galileo, but Galileo, not Galileo, that he's much later, he's an astronomer. Now, this is a Roman, by the way, if you want a little information, it's Seneca, who was a great rhetorician, if you are a classicist. Seneca was from Cordova, Spain, so some of you from Hispanic background, God bless you. This is some of your early roots. Galileo was the son of Seneca the rhetorician, and then he was the brother of Seneca the philosopher, and he went to Rome, 
and he was adopted by Galileo, and then he took that name from then on out. He was appointed by Claudius in probably early 51 AD. Jesus was crucified about 33 AD, so you can do the math. Only the next generation after Jesus was crucified. And Galileo is now the new governor. And what happened is the Jewish leaders decide, hey, we can get rid of Paul if we can haul him before the Roman governor. And we can get what Paul is teaching declared to be a religion illicita, a religio illicita, an illicit religion. And we can take care of Paul. That's what legally is going on. In our relationships, as we go out into business, as we're sharing the gospel, we're not being silent, we're sharing the word of God, one of the things that's going to happen is we're going to be hauled into court. In a democracy in the United States, you are the government. You have the right. So as I speak to you this morning, I will have people listening that are very much involved in the government. So we're going to learn from this text, from the book of Acts, how we relate to the government and what the government should actually do. One of the really important things I want you to see in the next few verses is the government, the secular court, the place to decide beliefs and practice, and that would be really be religious beliefs and practices, or to judge crimes and misdemeanors. If you're involved in government, and that relates to law enforcement officers, judges, governors, presidents, you need to think really clearly. Is the role of government to make decisions about religion? Or is the role of government to judge, primarily the role of government, to judge crimes and serious situations? And the words that you use there in this context are things that really harm people, crimes that hurt people. Like, I was in Waxahachie, and the police officer that was killed by a drunk driver, I couldn't figure out why I couldn't get out of Nevero College. And trying to get home, man, hundreds and hundreds of people are lined up because a young police officer was killed. Well, if you're in law enforcement, Mary and I lost a 15-year-old brother because of a drunk driver. This is a serious issue. That's a serious crime. And our culture in Texas takes it very lightly. We're good old boys and good old girls. So if you're a law enforcement officer, this week in response to what happened, another family doesn't have a daddy that should be there because of crime. That's what we need to be really burdened about. You understand that? That's what this text is saying. Now, let's see what Galileo, who's the new Roman governor, the Jews want Galileo to decide that Paul is teaching against the Jewish religion. And if they can get Galileo to do that, then they, they can declare, especially throughout all the provinces in Greece, and then that can spread, they can declare that this new belief that Jesus the Messiah is illegal throughout much of the Roman Empire. It would have really changed what happened the next several years in first century proclamation of the gospel. Look what happens. It says, while Galileo was consul, the Jews made a united attack. Verse 13, this man they charged is persuading the people to worship God in a way that's contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, and I can feel this. Like, in other words, Paul's getting ready to make his defense. Hey, I'm Jewish. I was trained under Gamaliel. Paul's getting ready to give the message he gave in Acts chapter 13. So if you want to know what Paul would have said, you can read Acts 13 if you read the book along with us. And Paul's just about ready to speak, but Galileo doesn't let him say anything. Preachers hate that. Galileo said to the Jews, Galileo doesn't let Paul speak at all. Like, you got to picture this. This is, this is not like our courtroom where everything is inside. I've been in Corinth. You, you set up this bema, which is like, the, it's, like a, it's like a pulpit, okay? That's the bema. 
and you set it up in public and everybody gathered around. You have to understand that because that's the way you'll understand what the crowd does later on. So everybody's listening and it's right out done in public. So Galileo interrupts everybody. And he says this, if you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor, and the word that's used there is something that disturbs the public unity and something that's fraudulent, something that is evil. And the next word relates to a deed that you do that really hurts people. Those two things. That, so there are English words, malicious crimes and misdemeanors. That makes sense? All of you in legal context understand that really well. That's what Galileo is saying. He says, I'm a Roman proconsul. My job is to handle misdemeanors and to decide malicious crimes. Then he says this. Notice what Galileo says. He says, if that were so, I'd listen to you. But since this court case, bringing Paul before me, involves questions about words and names and your own Jewish laws of the idea, not Roman law, but Jewish laws, Settle the matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. So he then ejected them from the court. So he throws the case right out, throws everybody outside. Then they all turn at him. They turned on Sosthenes, who became the new synagogue. Remember, Crispus got saved and received Jesus as his Savior, as the Messiah. This is the new synagogue leader. The crowd that heard the case, they're anti-Semitic, probably Gentiles. They get angry, and they beat up a Jew which is horrible. I want you to understand the text is not saying this is a good thing, but Galileo showed no concern whatever. And I want you to see the subtlety of the way that Luke writes, and this is what I want you to teach you to do. As you're reading this account, you need to let Dr. Luke teach you about what he feels is legitimate governmental authority under the Romans and what is illegitimate. And you'll only be able to do that if you listen carefully to the story. Does that make sense? What did Dr. Luke just teach us? Dr. Luke just taught us a very important point. It's one of his major points in the book of Acts. The Roman courts have legitimate authority in crimes and misdemeanors. But the Roman courts are at their best when they don't try to decide a debate among religious people. In the first century, the Romans don't believe in the separation of church and state. But I want you to see that the book of Acts does. Because the book of Acts follows our Savior. Our Savior said, give to Caesar what is Caesar, give to God what is God. In Romans 13, the Apostle Paul says that there's a legal governmental authority, that the government has the right to bear the sword. The church is not the government, and the government is not the church. Everybody say amen. Because you don't believe that too well. In our culture right now, there's two extremes in this. You need to understand. The Apostle Paul is making it really clear, and Dr. Luke is speaking this text to teach us something very important. Let me read you the First Amendment. I want you to know for sure that as Americans, what most of your culture, you this morning might really understand the First Amendment, but young people don't understand the First Amendment. Young people believe that any discussion in the public marketplace is illegitimate. And school teachers help them do that. Because you go right along in the school, letting them tell you constantly that as a governmental official, as a school person, you're not allowed to ever talk about spiritual religious issues. So you raise a bunch of students that don't know what, what Sunnis are, 
what Sharia law is. They don't know what a Roman Catholic is. They don't know what a Jew is. They don't know what a Jehovah's Witness is because you're not allowed. You're silent about all that. And buildings came down in the city that I was raised, and we didn't even know where it was coming from. And we fought a war for the last more than a decade that we really don't even understand what the issues are. What I'm sharing is really important. The First Amendment does not tell you that in your business or in your school, especially your students, it doesn't tell you that when you're in a restaurant, it doesn't tell you that you can not practice your religion. I, I want to teach you your pastor. You are not just to practice following Jesus today. I want you to practice following Jesus and talking about him out there. Everybody got that? You say, Dave, why do you believe that? If you want to be patriotic, I am patriotic. I have members of my family that gave their life for your freedom, and it's being taken away from us. I promise you, my students really believe that the First Amendment says you should never have any discussion of religion and moral values in the marketplace. And the Chick-fil-A thing just illustrates it. What happened to Chick-fil-A thing? A business leader said that he believed in traditional marriage and that he believes that the story of Sodom and Gomorrah is still in the Bible, that if a culture pours themselves into immorality, that they could face the judgment of God. Anybody ever heard that before? I want you to understand where our culture is, because 50 years ago, like I've been raised in this, you would have heard that everywhere. But in your culture today, a business leader said that, and the, the mayor of Chicago in the area where one of my friends is the pastor that desperately needs a good business that will hire people. It's in a poor area. Armitage Baptist is in a small area of Chicago that's rapidly changing, but it needs businesses. Rollo Emanuel said, we don't want people like that. Well, what did the government do? The government decided that it has the right to condemn a businessman and to prohibit him from practicing. So all of us rise up. Now, what does the First Amendment actually say? You've heard all kinds of discussion about this. You need to read the First Amendment. Listen to it. It says this, First Amendment, Amendment 1, Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion. So the government in the United States is not supposed to make laws that give credence and give superiority and give substantiation to any one religion. Remember that. Your students have the right to practice Ramadan. Don't get angry with them. I just crossed some of you a little bit. Like if you really believe what the First Amendment says, the established governmental religion of the United States of America is not Christianity. Governments and countries can't be Christians in a biblical sense. Only you can. And understand that. That's one of the things the Founding Fathers got right. You see, a Christian is someone biblically that follows Jesus. And I know we use Christian culturally. I know the history. But I want you to be really clear. Biblically, a Christian is someone who follows Jesus and has Jesus come to live in their heart. And no government can have Jesus come to live in their heart. So don't make the government Christian. So think hard about that. That's what the first clause is saying that the government cannot establish Islam as a religion. It can't establish Christianity's religion. It can't establish Judaism. Everybody with me? Very important. 
That's one of the greatest gifts. And you know where that belief came from? From Jesus. From people that really understood what I'm saying. You see, faith in Jesus can never be by birth. Faith in Jesus can never be by culture. Faith in Jesus, if you're a good Baptist from a Baptist tradition, faith in Jesus means you have to, even if you're a little kid, you have to decide in your own heart. You heard my little grandson. He was only four years old, and he stood up here and says, I believe in Jesus. Well, James has to tell you, I decided on my own, not because I was born and my grandfather is the pastor of Milesian Bible Church. You got it? James, my little grandson, became a Christian because he decided in his own heart that he would trust in the cross. He would trust in the resurrection. Amen? Be really clear about that. I just gave you a ton of ammunition to use, and good ammunition, healing ammunition, okay, to help. But that's what the first clause. Second one, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. So can you pray in a restaurant? On your break, when you're working a job, can you read your Bible? Can you have a Bible on your desk? Yes. If a student asks you a question about your faith, can you tell them later, I'll be glad to talk to you about that? Yes. Can students say whatever they want to in a valedictorian address? We're so intimidated. Don't be intimidated. I want you, does this make sense? Congress cannot make any law that, that prohibits a free exercise. I got news for you. Your Muslim friends, when five times a day, they're going to go, got to get to the east. And you're all going to get upset. Don't get upset about it. You need to love your, like, they have the right to do that. Do you believe that? That's what the book of Acts is teaching you. The book of teaching you the essence of what our founding fathers got right. No one can prohibit your free exercise of religion. And there are some boundaries and legal. In other words, if you're in New York City and you're blocking traffic and everything, then you become a misdemeanor. You're doing malicious things. You all understand that, right? Next clause. You see, you all stop there. The next thing it says, or abridging the freedom of speech or the freedom of the press or the right of the people peacefully to assemble and to petition the government for redress of grievances. Congress can't establish religion. Congress cannot prohibit you from freely exercising your religion. Everybody got that? But it also can't prohibit you from freedom to express yourself. So if you're a born-again believer and you want to go to Chick-fil-A and buy a chicken, which was almost impossible to do anywhere in the South especially, on Wednesday, don't let anyone take that right away from you. Does everyone understand that? I want to set you free to do that. You're totally free to do that. Now I want to tell you something that's also really important. Whenever you take a stand against homosexuality, I want you to yell just as strongly that you're a sinner and that you need Jesus to forgive you. Did you hear what I just said? It's not going to work. So if you're involved in governmental parties... I want you to go to all those conventions. I want you to be involved in this. I'm really cheering from my heart. But I want you to know you're not going to change the human heart by who you put in the White House. You change the human heart by declaring the wondrous message of amazing grace. And the reason homosexuals hate us so badly is we've been yelling, for. there's lots of reasons. Every adulterer that I know, I'll change it, get off the sex. Every alcoholic that I know, when I have them in counseling 
And I put my finger, I build a relationship, I work with them, I counsel them. We really are connecting. And I say, you know what? You really need to stop drinking. And I want to do everything I can to help you. You know what every alcoholic that I know that doesn't want to turn away from their drinking does to me? They go, how have the audacity of you? The Bible doesn't teach that you can't drink. I've got the freedom to drink. I have the right to drink. How could you be such an evil person to think that I'm an evil person? Everybody in counseling, whatever it is, like if you're an adulterer, right in our church family, we've had one marriage after another gets destroyed because somebody sits in my office and I say, hey, you know, you really can't commit adultery. You're so bigoted, David. You're, so, you're such an angry preacher. You're such a terrible friend. I can't believe this. I, I never felt more alive. When I make love with this person, I feel like I'm in heaven. And God has told me in a vision that I need to leave my first husband, my first wife, whatever it is, and I need to go with this person. And I'm going to find a religious teacher that'll bless that and be really with it and progressive and really loving like Jesus is. I have that all the time. In fact, I'll be honest with you. That's the biggest heartache for Mary and me. Dear friends that used to be our friends, and we could have easily said, sure, homosexuality is fine. Sure, adultery is fine. Sure, fornication is fine. That would be easy to say. But it's wrong. If you don't believe it, I gave blood on Wednesday at the Carter Blood Bank. Not, you know, don't applaud. But I like to do that because one thing I like to do is we got to put things into action. So I settled down. They handed me a plastic sheet. It's, it's laminated. Good, good, okay. So they gave me this laminated thing. They said, you need to read this. So I read it. Then they take me in the office. They said, do you mind if we ask you the questions that you just read? I said, sure. Then they gave me a computer. They said, do you mind putting this in the computer? Then I did all this stuff. Then the girl asked me, she printed out a copy. They said, do you mind if I ask you this, and will you sign that you told the truth? You know what they asked me? They asked me lots of questions like, have you been a monogamous lover all your life for 42 years with your wife, Mary? Never asked me that. They never asked me, have you trained your kids that marriage is between one man and one woman, and that's really what God has taught for years and years and years? No one ever asked me that. You know what they asked me? Before they stuck the needle in my arm, they said, have you ever had homosexual relationships? Have you had homosexual relationships within the last six months? Now, they added some other things, like have you been with a prostitute the last few months or years? Have you ever done that? Have you ever been tested for AIDS? Now, I want you just to stop and think, okay. If this is such an incredible lifestyle, if it's such a good thing, then why is it before they put a needle in my arm, and I gave blood. Why did they have to ask me about that behavior? And I want to share with you, I don't hate homosexuals. I've had this debate about homosexuality since I was in my 20s. And most of my friends, those that got the new thing back in the 70s, and Jesus was gay, and Jesus was gay with his disciples. This has been a long, long debate. And my friends went away from the Bible, and they believed what they were going to believe. You know what a really terrible thing is? They're dead. I have friends that went to Dallas Seminary with me that were incredibly gifted, 
that were even married, but they practiced homosexuality. And they destroyed their marriages, and they got sick. And one of the really cool things is that a lot of believers ministered to them when they were sick, which is what I want us to do with the church family. But I want you to be really clear. It's not evil to say that sin will hurt you and will destroy you. It's evil to say that without saying that Jesus hung on the old rugged cross so that fornicators and adulterers and alcoholics and gays and lesbians and transsexuals and bisexual, everyone can be forgiven by his blood and they can become new. Amen. And I want you to shout. I want us to demonstrate just as loudly about Jesus positively as we demonstrate negatively against homosexuality. Amen? You got it? Okay, that's what this passage is saying. And so I want to free you up. Enter in. Enter into the political process. Enter into the court of influencing. But don't be discouraged. Every opportunity you get, I'm against sin, but I'm a sinner. And I desperately want you to meet my incredible Savior. And we want to shout that really, really, really loud. Amen? Dear Lord Jesus, I know that my brothers and sisters don't hear what I said very much today. In a lot of places, they don't hear at all what I'm saying. And from a human standpoint, probably a lot of people won't hear it. But Lord, we've got to learn to connect with people. We've got to learn that the Savior didn't come to create another culture. He came to give new life. We've got to understand that the gospel of grace is still the power of God and his salvation. And I want to pray, Lord, that children and students and business people and political people and doctors and nurses will be empowered because of what they heard today. Especially as we move toward this election, I pray that we'll really exercise our freedom of speech and our freedom to be involved in the governmental process. But Lord, help us not to allow our political viewpoints to become totally one with the ultimate belief we have that Jesus is the Savior for the world. Use today, Lord, it's a complicated subject. It's so easy to be misunderstood about it. But I ask you, Lord, that you would have used the teaching from Acts 18 to help my brothers and sisters to take some really good steps with me in what it really means to follow the Apostle Paul in understanding the legitimate role of government and the legitimate role of religion, and yet, most of all, keeping the priority of the gospel of grace clearly in view. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.